The other day I opened my computer and the internet was in a mild uproar because Kim Kardashian had posted a nude selfie to her Instagram. Now normally I wouldn't think twice about what some stranger posts on social media because it's not relevant to my life, nor is it any of my business. And yet there I was, somehow sucked in, spending time reading the attacks people hurled toward her, becoming emotionally invested, getting worked up, and before I knew it, my fingers began typing a response to someone's Facebook post. And then, something strange happened. I heard a voice. It sounded so familiar. So, the quote is, learning to ignore things is one of the great paths to inner peace. Which is... Uh, Wait, hold on. Let's repeat that. Say so, learning to ignore things is one of the great paths to inner peace. And I stopped typing, deleted what I had written, and I thought, why the f*** do I care? It's none of my business. On top of that, what do I think I'm going to accomplish by writing my mini diatribe? I mean, who do I think I'm talking to? What possible impact am I going to have by putting my angry keystrokes into the world? So in case you've forgotten, that ghostly voice was from our New Year's resolution update called Prep, Dig, Repeat. As I shared in that episode's WTS Dig segment, that quote from Robert J. Sawyer's book Calculating God has become a mantra for me coming into this year. And within it, I have found myself noticing and considering how much time and energy we spend criticizing people. And I'm not talking about constructive criticism. You know, when people provide educated opinions designed to help the recipient make something better. No, what I'm talking about is something different. Something more... Sinister. I'm talking about how, somewhere along the line, we stopped celebrating others and became much more interested in finding any crack we can to exploit and tear them down. What happened to that simple and yet beautiful piece of advice that many of our moms and teachers gave us? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. What happened? Hey, what happened? Why do we seem more interested in tearing others down than building them up? What is the deal with this plague of criticism that we seem to be living in today? Why do we care so much about what others say and do? Why do I care? Why do I need to say something about Kim Kardashian posting a nude selfie of herself? Why is it any of my business? Why do I want it to be? Why does it seem that so many people are perched like a sniper, just waiting for their next chance to censure anything or anyone? And what is this potentially costing us as a society? And if we are so inclined, how can we approach this in a more effective, productive, and positive way? So that's, that's a lot of questions. And I'm not sure we'll sufficiently answer them all, but we'll do our best. But if we don't get to all of them, this is a big topic that asks us to explore why we do what we do. And in the end, hopefully you won't be too critical. See what I did there? We're, we're talking about criticism, and then I'm like, please don't criticize us, and... Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Your silence hurts. 
Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we are calling out criticism and all of us who criticize. We look at why we do it, what it costs us, and consider some alternatives that might be a little kinder and a lot more effective. Plus, Nick revisits multitasking with a few of our listeners and, of course, lots of fun in the credits. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. Does it tarnish his MVP season? Right now, temporarily, it tarnishes him. Because if you're going to be the guy who walks around and jumps in everybody's face when you're winning and you're dabbing and you're yeah, doing your yeah, thing, yeah. the worst, the worst person that even his peers don't have respect for is the guy who then, when he says, then stop me and I won't dab, and they stop you, and you have no level of graciousness about you. You behave like a petulant little two-year-old. He was an embarrassment. He's a great player. He yeah. won in college. He may win, but Tony, he behaved like a loser. That was Michael Wilbon criticizing NFL quarterback Cam Newton on ESPN's Pardon the Interruption the day after this year's Super Bowl. For those of you not familiar with what happened, the gist of it, Cam Newton had an amazing year. He won the league MVP award and led the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, however, didn't go as amazing for them. Cam ended up having a statistically bad game and the Panthers were outplayed and lost. Afterwards, during a mandatory post-game press conference, Cam, who was clearly upset that he had just lost the Super Bowl, responded to several reporters' questions with short answers. Did you take that to heart when he told you after No. Can you put a finger on what, uh, why Carolina did not play the way it normally plays? Got outplayed. Is there a reason why? Got outplayed, bro. Then, after a few minutes, he got up and left. That's it. That's what happened. Is that it? He didn't say it right. Now to many, this news is way old. I mean, it happened over a month ago. But the reaction people had to Cam's demeanor and answers, the criticizing, that happens every day. That reaction to Cam is just one more example, a link in a seemingly never-ending chain where our culture responds to a public figure with instant and ferocious scorn and judgment. Every morning I wake up and there on the menu is the criticism du jour. I could ask myself, hello world, who are we tearing down today? And sure enough, Facebook tells me today's the day to criticize Beyonce, Bernie Sanders, Kanye West, Hillary Clinton, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, and of course, whoever created Spider-Man's eyes in that new Captain America trailer. Hey everyone. And look, I've been just as guilty as the next person. As is often the case with episodes of Where There's Smoke, I am speaking as someone in the process of learning, not someone learned. If you were to review my last 200 social media posts, I might not want to see the percentage of them that fall into this category of criticizing. So as I sat down to write this episode, 
Thinking about the backlash aimed at Cam Newton or Kim Kardashian or President Obama, the first question that struck me was, who are we to say? I mean, why do we feel that we're in a position to offer any criticism to people we've never met, whose experiences and lives are completely different than our own? And that question brought to mind words spoken by President Theodore Roosevelt. And I gotta say, I've been wanting to use this quote for almost a year because I love it so much. Nick will vouch for me. And while previously it's ended up on the cutting room floor, not today. Today, I share these words from Teddy Roosevelt's famous citizen in a Republic speech. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who does actually strive to do the deeds. In almost every scenario I've witnessed, the vast majority of people who spend time criticizing others are not speaking from experience. They've never been there, never slayed that dragon or climbed that mountain. They've never stood in that arena and had their face marred by dust and sweat and blood. But even without the experience, they're still so sure they would have done things differently. And as people started ragging on Cam Newton, writers, talking heads on television, Joe and Jane Public, the first voice of reason I heard came from, surprise, surprise, someone who has been there. Someone who has also lost a Super Bowl that his team was heavily favored in and had to face the press afterwards. Former running back for the former St. Louis Rams, Marshall Falk. You can speak volumes to, oh, you can go talk to whoever you want. Until you've lost this game and sat on that stage and had those feelings in you, you have no idea what that feels like to get peppered with questions about how you played, how your team played, what coulda, shoulda, woulda. And here's the thing. Even those times when you have kind of been there, you kind of know what the person is going through, you still haven't been there because you are not them. You haven't had their experiences. You have little or no idea where they are coming from and what they are going through in that moment. Obviously, I had a lot of time to think about it. Here is Cam Newton addressing the press two days after the Super Bowl, directly addressing his post-game interview. You know, at the end of the day, um, when you invest so much time, when you sacrifice so much, and things don't go as planned, um, I think, I think emotions take over. I think that's what happens. And as far as trying to be like this person, trying to be like that person, I heard numerous you know, quotes about, you know, what if this person was in that situation? How would he have handled it? Well, we've seen this person do that, how he would have handled it. But the truth of the matter is I'm not trying to be this person, nor am I trying to be that person. And uh, I am my own person. I, I take pride in that, and um, that's pretty much how I feel. You don't have any regrets at all? Knowing some of Cam Newton's backstory and looking at who he is as a man, as a human being, I see so much that we could be celebrating, but we don't. 
And the thing about this obsession, or maybe addiction, we have to criticizing people is that it means the targets of our criticism, they can almost never win. If Cam had stayed at the press conference and kept talking, we would have found something to criticize in what he said. Or maybe he wouldn't have been upset enough. I know that sounds crazy, but four years ago, some of the same people who criticized Cam for being a sore loser, for being passionate about whether he won or lost, those same people criticized Rob Gronkowski of the New England Patriots for not being sore enough when he lost. After the Patriots' loss in Super Bowl 46, Gronkowski was videotaped dancing at a club later that same night. And when that video went viral, his actions were labeled as immature and inappropriate. And the thing is, neither of these players did anything wrong. It's that there is no right way to begin with. People pick and, 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 they, and, they, and, they, and they do things of that sort. And that the truth of the matter is, you know, who are you to say that your way is right? Like, that's what I don't understand. Like, we got all these people that's, that's, that's condemning and saying, oh, man, he should have did this, that, and the third. But what makes your way right? What makes your way right? What makes my way right? Well, nothing. But we still want to be right, don't we? In his Psychology Today article, What's Wrong with Criticism, Dr. Stephen Stosny wrote that criticism is a form of ego defense. Quote, we don't criticize because we disagree with a behavior or an attitude. We criticize because we somehow feel devalued by the behavior or attitude, unquote. And if you think about it, you'll notice that people in your life who are the most solid with themselves, who know themselves, accept themselves, like themselves, they are probably the people who criticize others the least. Or look at yourself in your life. During those times when you feel most like the person you want to be, when you like yourself the most, I bet those are the times when you are also the least critical of others. Because as Stosny says, we criticize because we somehow feel devalued. And criticism tells us more about the psychology of the critic than the people he or she criticizes. We spend a lot of time caught up in other people's stuff. And I think for many of us, it is a convenient, albeit not very healthy, way to avoid ourselves, our own stuff. And even when it's not, even when we feel like we sorted ourselves out, ask yourself, if criticizing others is really how you want to be spending your time, if it's really what you want to be putting out into the world. Because here's the thing, not only is it putting more negativity into an already highly negative space, but it doesn't even work. I mean, assuming your goal is to inspire a change of behavior in someone and not just make them feel like crap. All you do is make me feel bad about myself. Dr. Stosny goes on to write in his article that criticism is an utter failure at getting positive behavior change. It asks people to simply submit to what? To you? Why? Also, it devalues them and their own experience and needs. And I think we can agree that neither of those things are very appealing. And let's say you do criticize someone and you do see the change in behavior that you wanted. In the long run, you'll also build resentment. 
because as American writer and teacher Anne Lamott once wrote, expectations are resentments under construction. So then what? How do we negotiate a world where people act in ways that we don't always understand or agree with? Sure, sometimes, probably oftentimes, ignoring it is going to serve you. But what about those times when it is someone you do know and care about? Perhaps even someone who respects you and will listen. Is there another way? Is there an alternative to criticism that can put something positive into the world? inspire change, and build relationships instead of tearing them apart. There is. And we'll talk about that after the break. Hey, it's Nick, and I just wanted to follow up with everybody about our multitasking episode from a few weeks ago. As I mentioned in a brief update, we got so many responses from people about that episode, and they ranged from super positive to a bit unsure to a bit annoyed. And I just wanted to take a second here in the mid-roll to share with you some messages that we got from listeners. So Brett and I received a wonderful email from a woman named Oifi Barrington Haber, and she explained to us that her daughter had been diagnosed with ADHD, and in that process, she herself was also diagnosed. And here is Oifi talking a little bit about the intersection of multitasking and ADHD. Yeah, I mean, having ADHD means it's, it's not an attention deficit so much as it's like having megabrain, where you notice everything but you have trouble with the executive function of your brain that would normally let you filter out what's less important and focus on what's important. And your brain is always getting drawn towards um, the, the shiny, you know, like the, the thing that's, that's more interesting. After the episode, Oifi took Brett's advice and started using a Pomodoro timer, which is basically just a timer that goes for 25 minutes and then a five-minute break and then 25 minutes on, and then over time the breaks get longer. So Oifi gave it a shot and had some very positive results. So this idea of focusing on one thing at a time and finishing it and going on to the next, it's not a natural skill for somebody with ADHD. So, so to have the Pomodoro timer and break it down into single skills and the, 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 the pep talk that it gives you on the, on the, the website that, yes, you can focus on one thing for 25 minutes try it and then and then take a break and um having that structure and also having the that chance at the beginning to sit down and make a plan like okay these are the five things that i'm going to work on and i'm not going to go on to the next one until the first one is done and and then that the auditory tick 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 to, to keep my brain focused like you know i can't go look at the turkey that's walking around outside my window i have to finish this it's it's really it, it's just been incredibly helpful, and I just feel like a whole different person. Like I have the ability that I never had. We also received a message from Kathleen Mache. She talked about sitting at a desk with some stacks of papers and feeling a bit overwhelmed by trying to do all of her work at once. I can remember so many times um, when I was working full time and I had so much on my desk that I 
would just cringe if somebody spoke to me because I already had 12 things to be doing, and now what? And due to our episode, Kathleen has decided that she owes her husband an apology. I've always ridiculed my husband because he can only do one thing at a time. And now I have to go back to him and tell him he's wonderful and he's right. And no wonder he's very successful. Where there's smoke, resolving marital conflict since 2016. So thank you to Oifi and Kathleen and everybody else who reached out. Please don't hesitate to send us your thoughts in any episode or any thoughts for future episodes. Visit www.wherethersmoke.co and send us an email or leave us a speakpipe message. It's all right there on the website. You guys are the best. And now back to the show. Thanks. In his 1973 book, You Can Become the Person You Want to Be, Robert H. Schuller posed the question, what goals would you be setting for yourself if you knew you could not fail? In the decades since that book was published, variations of this question have appeared on everything from coffee mugs to fridge magnets to accessory posters. However, with the rise of omnipresent media in our world, I wonder if failure might be less of a deterrent than the angry, mean, and intrusive attacks of others. And one of WTS's favorite humans, Brene Brown, poses a question akin to this in her talk at the 2013 99U conference. Like if I asked every single one of you, you would try, what would you try if you knew people would never say this about you? What would that, what would this be? You see, We say we want transparency from our leaders in every arena, corporations, communities, elected officials. And yet when people are transparent, as I said in Act One, so many of us are perched and ready to criticize. And by doing this, we create an environment where people are afraid to be themselves, where they hold back. And so we never get to experience their full expression, which means we don't get what they are fully capable of either. And the fear is this. I'm scared, a lot of self-doubt, comparison, anxiety, uncertainty. And so what do most people do when they're walking into the arena and those things are going to greet them up top? What do you do? You armor up, right? But God, that stuff is heavy and that stuff is suffocating. And the problem is when you armor up against vulnerability, You shut yourself off. When you armor up, you armor up. You shut yourself off from everything that you do and that you love. Because vulnerability is certainly a part of fear and self-doubt and grief and uncertainty and shame, but it's also the birthplace of these. It's the birthplace of love, of belonging, of joy, trust, empathy, creativity, and innovation. Without vulnerability, you cannot create. But we are not saying that input from others isn't valuable. Whether it is in a creative process or the process of wanting to be the best version of us we can be, that input can be invaluable. And actually, no input at all 
could be just as damaging as the criticism we were questioning earlier. So it is about the form this input takes. And many people, including us, would say that a start could be to not give criticism, but to instead give feedback. Now, some of you might be thinking, but Brett, isn't that the same thing? I mean, when most people hear the phrase, can I give you some feedback? I think they feel like I did when I was called to the principal's office. We need to see Brett Guida down in the principal's office. Thank you. I mean, sure. He might have been calling me to tell me I'd been chosen to represent the school in a nationwide funniest kid in class contest. But let's be honest, that contest probably doesn't exist. And being brought to the principal's office rarely ends well. So I better brace myself. But that's because what most people have been receiving as feedback has actually been criticism. In a column entitled, Feedback is Different from Criticism, social worker and writer Peter Griffith wrote, I've never found any evidence that criticism resulted in something constructive. From my counseling experience, I've only seen results such as resentment, hurt, depression, relationship breakdown, abusive behavior, character assassination, and violence. He goes on to say, there's a big and important difference between feedback and criticism. What many people believe to be feedback is actually criticism. And I'd say the difference between criticism and feedback can be summarized in two areas, attitude and content. <laughs> oh, attitude. Yes, right. So thanks, but no thanks. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. Criticism is the act of passing judgment. It aims to find fault. It is intended to put the other person down and help the person who is criticizing to feel superior or righteous. Feedback has a positive intention. It isn't used to get someone. Its purpose is to help someone improve. It is aimed forward at what can be instead of steeped in blame and what was. It encourages change instead of undermining confidence. Feedback respects autonomy providing data that one can self-apply as opposed to trying to control and tell others how to do something. And while criticism implies, I know better than you, or I know what is good for you, feedback operates from a place of equality and compassion. As consultant and author Stan Slap puts it in his book, Under the Hood, short of homicide, the worst thing one human being can do to another is to make them feel small. And as Walt Whitman says in his poem, Song of Myself, In all people I see myself, none more, and not one of barley corn less. And the good or bad I say of myself, I say of them. And when it comes to the content of feedback, it is focused toward the behavior and not the person. And it is specific, not generalized, providing data and details that the receiver can identify and autonomously apply to create change. As Peter Griffith puts it in his article, feedback is an honest and accurate description of what you see happening, but without any editorializing. There's an exercise I often do with business teams that sums up this difference between criticism and feedback. It's called ball in the bucket. And as one might surmise from its name, the goal of the exercise is for a participant to throw a ball into a bucket. The catch is that he or she is sitting with their back to the bucket, which forces them to blindly throw the ball over their shoulder in the hopes of getting it in. 
My job is to give them feedback to help them succeed. However, to make the point, I don't start with feedback. As they toss balls over their shoulder, they usually land at various points around the room. After each toss, I say things like, oh man, not even close. Nope. <sighs> Try again. Yikes, you kind of suck at this game. Uh, not so hard. Too soft. And almost without fail, they never make it into the basket. And then I stop and ask everyone else in the room, how's my feedback? Of course, they tell me it's terrible at best. And at that point, I make a shift to provide actual feedback. I start by asking the thrower what type of feedback they want and how they want it. They usually want to know if the ball went too far or not far enough, left or right. And they want me to be specific about the distance. It was two feet short and four feet to your right. Or it was dead center to the bucket, but about a meter too far. Once I move into the feedback conversation, I am in total service of the person throwing the ball. I provide non-judgmental data that they can use in the form they want, and I throw in a little cheerleading so they know that I believe in their ability to apply it and succeed. That's feedback. It's not sexy. No, I am sexy. I am R-rated sexy. No, no, you're not feedback. And maybe that's the problem. But what you are feedback is caring, considerate, and perhaps more importantly, effective. You empower people. You help create change. Wait, did Emma Stone somehow become feedback in this analogy? Well, I am even more enamored with it now. I am here to bang the hot guy that hit on me at the bar. Whoa, feedback. Hey, let's keep it together. Also, are people still saying bang? Oh, I do. Look, all this said, criticism isn't going anywhere. From what I know about our listeners, you are creators, movers, and shakers. American writer and philosopher Albert Hubbard said, to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Well, I don't see that shoe fitting for any of you. So you will probably be criticized on your journey. And being that each of us is also a work in progress, we will probably find ourselves criticizing others. And we're not even saying that criticism as a whole is a terrible thing. It's just that the balance seems to be a bit out of whack, you know? And sometimes we need to course correct. And it is up to you, me, all of us, to help make that course correction a reality. Going back to the Citizen in a Republic speech, Roosevelt also said, the poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. A cynical habit of thought and speech, a readiness to criticize. All these marks are not of superiority, but of weakness. They mark those who seek in the affection of contempt for the achievements of others to hide from others and from themselves in their own weakness. The role is easy. There is none easier. So perhaps in those moments, when your first instinct is to criticize, you'll hear this episode echoing in your mind. The other day I opened my computer and the internet was in a mild uproar. Like that Robert J. Sawyer quote echoed in mine. 
and hearing it will give you pause just for a second. And in that moment, you can consider what you are about to say, why you are about to say it, and if you believe it will get you the result you want. Because maybe, just maybe, after all of this exploration and talk, maybe the answer is simple and it's been there all along. I'm a parent now and it's an odd thing to experience the whole child raising process from the other side. You know, when you're young and exploring the world, it can often feel like adults are simply around to impart their wisdom and make you do things you don't want to do. But now that I have a son, I have a better understanding of what my parents and teachers and animated bunnies were trying to say. When people ask me what I want for my son, my first answer is always one thing. I want him to be kind. There's other stuff after that, but I believe that if in his heart he is first and foremost kind, then he'll grow up to be someone he's proud to be, someone he likes, and someone who makes a positive impact on those around him. So after all of this, maybe it does come down to those words most of us probably heard as children, and many of us say to young kids today. If you can't say something nice, Don't say nothing at all. Before we get to the credits, I just want to assure you all that WTS Digs will be back next week. We apologize for its absence. It wanted a week off, and then apparently it had accrued some sick days, and then there was the doping suspension over the Sudafed it took while it was sick, and this week apparently it's hungover somewhere in Mexico, though that's just hearsay. But next week, for sure, WTS Digs will be here. Okay. Credits, please! Love and appreciation to show supporter HCMA Architecture and Design in Vancouver. Check them out at hcma.ca. Shout outs. Thank you, new Patreon supporters, including Jaslyn Prieto, Candace Jones, Jody Dixon, and Jesse Miner. I sent out some postcards last week. If you're a Patreon supporter and want to be on my postcard list, email me at brett at wherethersmoke.co with your physical address. And if you want to support the show each month to help us keep this going, please go to support wts.com we are two likes away dos de, from a thousand likes on our facebook page so check us out there and we're on twitter at explore wts nice segue for the twitter love thank you at ed burry at desert daff mary wissinger at ditch adulthood at the audio signal at enigmatic soul rg and our good friend at annie wood Thank you for the emails, Ashley Madden, Gina Griffin, Christian Omland, Kathleen Mache, and Heather Pierce. Billy Pogge, 
Great to meet you in person in D.C. And Brooke Rankine, thanks for the awesome Skype conversation all the way from Adelaide, Australia. For the iTunes reviews, thank you Sesprit from Denmark, the digital nomad and crib star from Sweden, Tom Morks from the USA, the greatest action declared as a music therapist. This podcast makes my life sing more than it already does. And Fernie193 wrote, God, this podcast is one of the best among the known ones. Psst, hey, Fern193, we're not that well known yet. So please, please keep spreading the word. Where There's Smoke is conceived, criticized, written, constructively criticized, recorded, feedback, cared for, assembled, encouraged, and banged by me, Brett Gaida, and Nick Jaworski. Dylan Davis is our research assistant. The theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by our very own Nick. Speaking of Nick, what other music artists were featured in this show? All right, let's see. This week, we've got music from Happiness in Airplanes, Lee Rosevere, Blue Dot Sessions, Mads, Ketza, Poddington Bear, Alex Fitch, Andy G. Cohen, and of course, Kevin McLeod. I just said Kevin. Got a podcast? Thinking about starting one? Want it to sound awesome? Check out Nick's company at podcastmonster.com. And if you're interested in having me work with your company or speak at an event, email us at connect at wherethersmoke.co. You can join our mailing list by texting the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website, wherethersmoke.co. And if you have any feedback, thoughts, ideas, encouragement, but no criticism, you can also leave us a voicemail while you're there on the website. Now remember, these shows are just suggestions. If you want to go on criticizing and berating people, okay. But be warned, you might not get what you expect. Don't yell at me. What do you want me to do, motorhead? Well, try not to be so negative all the time. Why don't you offer some constructive criticism? You got us into this parking lot, pal. Now you get us out. You want out of this parking lot? Okay. Would there be anything else? Yes, do you have a Miss Piggy? Thanks for listening. We love you. See you next week.